Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It's looked like uh, there's this crazy stuff falling from the sky last night. It's called rain. Apparently, we don't see it so often. It scared off the front right section over here. <laughs> scared them off. So, yeah. Great to be with you this morning. How many of you guys enjoy worship? Can we give our worship team a hand clap? I uh, non-jokingly tell people it's the best part of our service. Our, our worship team is just absolutely incredible. So they are amazing. So hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and get ahead of the curve a little bit. Turn to Joshua chapter four. We're going to end up there here in just a minute. But uh, we're starting a, uh, or I'm going to start a message. I don't know. I don't know how long it'll last or, or whatever, but I'm going to do a message today called The Anatomy of an Encounter. The Anatomy of an Encounter. It was interesting. This last week, my wife and I were in San Francisco, and uh, it was interesting because we got invited by some people that I really, really respect. And when I say nervous to go, I'm talking about nervous uh, because we weren't staying in a hotel room. We were staying in Airbnbs with the person putting on the conference. So there was four couples in one house with two bathrooms, two bathrooms <laughs> with people we've never met before. And it was just one of those things where when we showed up, it was kind of like chaos. They were still moving furniture into this Airbnb when we got there. And it was just like, if I wasn't already nervous enough, that made it even, even worse, but it turned out to be probably one of the most incredible trips. I told our staff this, Lynn and I have done a lot of traveling over the last five years. Uh, when we planted Renew Life Church, one of the things we were hungry for is kind of to find our people, find our tribe. Like, are there other churches across the country that think like we think, that want what we want, that are maybe five years ahead, 10 years ahead, 20 years ahead of where we are, that we can follow in their footsteps and learn from uh, from, from all that God's done through their ministries. And so uh, it's been quite a journey. And we've had some incredible people come along uh, our, our, across our past during that time. And, uh, but nothing like what happened this last, this last week. We met some absolutely incredible people. And it, again, it was interesting because there were four guys uh, that put this little deal on, this little thing on, and they each invited a few people. And so I think there were a total of 56 pastors and their wives there that were invited from Northern Ireland to New York to South Florida to Washington to California and, and Texas. Uh, we, were, we were there, and I think there was even one more couple from Texas. And so it was interesting because you're with all these people that you don't know. They don't know how you even got in the room. I didn't know how I got in the room. And so it's, you've got this like spiritual speed dating thing going on. And so it's like you're, you're meeting these people for the first time, and you're asking all these questions like, who are you? Where's your church? What's God doing in your life? I, I, I'll be honest with you, I absolutely love that no one was going around asking, how big's your church? How fast are you growing? What do your programs look like? They were asking the questions that we wanted to be asked, which is, what's God doing down there? How's your family? How's your kids? How's your marriage? The stuff that we, you know, we just so long to, to talk about more than, than anything else in growth. And, and good, growth is good. Growth is healthy. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not what we're going after. If it's a byproduct, great, but it's not what we're going after. And it's interesting because some of these people that you've never met are asking you, like, okay, clearly God's, you know, uh, one of my friends there that had invited us had told some people, I think, our, our story of our church and some of the things God's done here. And so they're asking, like, hey, you know, 
how did all this happen? Kind of what's the, what's the secret sauce of what you guys are doing there? God's really showing up, all this, this different stuff. And it's interesting, when they began to ask how our church started, I was kind of forced to go way back and remember uh, some of the things. You, sometimes you get in the middle of just doing life and doing what you're doing and, and, and thinking about what's next, you don't often go back and think what got you there in the first place and, and what triggered all this. And so, uh, and I was, I was, I honestly was kind of surprised by my response because I had to think about it for a second. And when, when I was asked by two particular people, you know, what started this? What changed? You were pastoring a campus pastor for another church, had a, less than 200 people, uh, you know, it's not, not that that's about numbers, like I said, but w- what happened in there? And as I thought back, it was, it was absolutely clear to me. I said, well, uh, seven and a half years ago, I had an encounter with God that changed my life forever. That was my answer. I said, seven and a half years ago, I had, a cha- I had an encounter with God. I actually physically saw Jesus, and it changed my life forever. And after that, it seemed like Nothing else would do. The, the way we had done church before was no longer satisfying. It was, there was something that happened, and, and seven and a half years ago, although our church is only almost five years, August will be five years, seven and a half years ago, something changed in me. I, shared, I began to share what God was saying to me and, and, and doing in my life with my wife, and all of a sudden, a journey began that, and it was just shocking to me because both times when I began to tell the story, and I'm actually going to tell the story here in a minute. It's been a while since I told it, but I felt like the Lord directed me to tell this story again. But what was amazing to me is seven and a half years later, I still couldn't almost get through the first half of the story without breaking down. I just, I almost couldn't. And, I, and, and as soon as I started talking, Leanne's like, you're going to cry. And I was like, it's been seven and a half years. Grow up. And then I didn't make it. <laughs> And it just began to reveal some things to me, and it, it, it highlighted a principle that sometimes you can talk about, and sometimes you can get, you can, get, uh, you can brush over the weight of what, I, what I'm about to say. But it just dawned on me that even though I've been a Christian as long as I can remember, I do not know my life not being a Christian. Well, I know a part of my life not acting like a Christian, but I don't know, I don't know a day in my life that I remember that I was not born again. I was not saved. I was not, uh, had the promise of, of heaven as my eternal home. Don't know a day like that. So I have pursued God most of my life, but I, I started thinking, I cannot remember certain messages that I heard. Either, in fact, I couldn't think of a single message that I heard in a church service or I could recite it to you word for word or even give you the, the overall layout of that particular message. I couldn't give you the layout of the message I preached last week. Uh, I mean, I, that's, that's where I'm at. But I'll tell you right now, there have been a handful of times where I have encountered God, and I can recite them to you this morning as if they happened just five minutes ago. And it, it made me aware of the fact that nothing, absolutely nothing, will sustain a passionate pursuit of God like a real-life encounter. Nothing will do it. I can give you all kinds of scriptures. I can teach you all kinds of messages. I can put you all through all types of classes. Nothing will sustain a passionate pursuit of God like an encounter with God. I said it this this way a couple of weeks ago. God's not not interested in us having theories. He's interested in us having stories. He wants us to have a story. And uh, I, I saw this in, in Scripture, in Joshua chapter 4, as I was studying. 
Joshua chapter 4, Moses has died. Moses has already led the the children of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage, but Moses has died, and the people are somewhat stagnant. And God God speaks to to Joshua and says, okay, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's time to move on. It's time to go inherit the promised land. And and God begins to speak to to Joshua uh, about, about crossing the Jordan River and uh, there's all, and I won't get into all the details of the story. It's, it's an incredible story. The, the, the priests go out first. When the priest's water hit the, the, the feet, their feet hit the water, the, the, the water stops, and while they're, then everyone crosses. And when, after everyone's crossed, the priests are still in there. And, and the Lord tells Moses, I'm sorry, the Lord tells Joshua, go take 12 stones from where the, the priests are standing. So go take some stones out of the Jordan River. And when you cross where you will camp tonight, I want you to set up those stones as a monument for what God's done here. So they literally take some stones and they set up this monument where they camp. And here's what it says in in Joshua chapter 4. The Lord speaks this to Joshua. This is Joshua communicating to the people what the Lord had spoken to him there. Here in verse 19, it says, The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up and we had all crossed over. He did this. Now check this out in verse 24. He says, he did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. He instructs Joshua to take these 12 stones and build a monument. And he says, of this monument, this thing will be a reminder. This thing will be a memorial, if you will, of two things. One, to the nations, the power of God. To the people that don't yet call themselves Jesus people, God people, it will be a testament to the power of God. I love how in Scripture, sometimes in church we've messed this up because we've, we've hidden the power of God from unbelievers like we needed to apologize for the power of God or we might scare them off. And yet when you really read the Bible, how many guys are okay if we really read the Bible in church? Is, everybody, is that a good thing for us to do? When you really read the Bible, it points to the fact that God wants to demonstrate himself to non-believers to help them believe through signs wonders, and powerful miracles. That's what the Bible says. I love what Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. He's he's talking to this church at Corinth, and here's what he says. I didn't come to you with eloquent speech, but with demonstration of the Spirit and with power. So he started the church. He started the church not with a a barbecue or a picnic because he didn't want to offend anybody. He just wanted them to show up. He didn't start with a well-crafted message. It says he started with demonstrations of the Spirit and demonstrations of power. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 4, verse 48. It says, unless you, he's talking to these people from Galilee who often struggled believing in Jesus. You remember the story where Jesus went to Nazareth and he said he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. There was this spirit of familiarity because he wasn't Jesus the Messiah. He was Jesus the old uh, uh, the, the carpenter. And so he couldn't do any mighty, mighty works there. But here's what Jesus says, unless you people from Galilee, and talking about the people from Galilee, 
unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And what's interesting is he, he, he didn't say, you guys need signs and wonders to believe, so I'm not even going to mess with y'all. He did the signs and wonders so that they would believe. And, he, and, the, and the story goes on, he healed uh, the, the, this, this uh, military guy's son and as a sign of, hey, I know you're having a hard time believing, let me do a sign, let me do a wonder, let me heal him. That will help you in your unbelief. I'm just telling you, nothing changes someone's opinion like something that they cannot explain. We're, we're not going to change people's opinions with our opinions. We're not going to change people's opinions with our eloquent speech or our well-crafted messages. There are some people, I've got people coming to mind right now, I have a lot of friends, believe it or not, that are some friends that they're actually not Christians. <laughs> they actually don't believe in Jesus. They're actually not 100% certain that he's the only way. And I'm just telling you, I've been in conversations in my own home. And when my daughters come by, they'll, are y'all still arguing? I was like, we're not arguing, we're having a conversation. I, 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 we've prayed this. We've, we've prayed for this particular person. My wife has had a burden for this particular person that I'm thinking about right now for God to do a wonder in his family so that he might believe. He's heard the messages. He's read the Bible. He's accepted Jesus as his Savior at one point in his life, but has walked away because he's boiled Christianity down to theology, not down to a person, which our theology is supposed to lead us to a person. Here's, here's what I love about this. So he tells this, this to the nations, to the world. He wants to demonstrate their power that they might believe. But then he turns it and he says, but to you. So here's, what I'm gonna, here's why I'm doing it for the world, but here's why I'm doing this for you. It says, so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So that, and that fear, we, we need to tr better translate that. That word fear means reverence. Another translation of that word means stand in awe. So what he's saying is, I'm doing this for you. We're going to set up this monument so that for you, forever. How many of you guys say, forever is a long time? He says, so forever, you will stand in awe of God. What he just said was, I'm going to do something so incredible, then I'm going to ask you to make a monument so that every time you look at the monument, it reminds you of the encounter. We're going to set up a monument that brings you back to that place, even if, you, if it's generation after. Think about this. He's saying that for your children's children, forever they will stand in awe. That means that one experience, that one encounter, that one miracle, that one demonstration of the power of God had the ability to mark someone's soul so strongly that even when they communed it to their children and their grandchildren, it marked their soul the same way. What was it? A scripture? A Bible story? No. An encounter with the power of God. Nothing marks your soul like an encounter with God. Nothing stays with you. Nothing serves as an anchor to your soul. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, about whether or not they should move to a certain city that, to be honest with you, in the natural, they shouldn't even move there. They're, they're fine where they're at. And they were looking at the school systems, and they were looking at the economy, and they were looking at the housing prices. They were looking at all these different things. And I just said, look, erase all of that before you decide whether that's where you're supposed to go. Get a word from God, because let me just tell you, education and schools make a terrible anchor, for, anchor to the soul. The economy makes a terrible anchor to the soul. A great job makes a terrible anchor to the soul. But a word from God, 
an encounter with him will keep you there forever. I, uh, I'll go back for just a second because that in, in, this, in this, this Sunday morning, it was early 2011, I woke up, I had a church service to go to, and I woke up to the presence of peace that I cannot even explain. It was, I don't know, 4.30, 5.30, somewhere in that in the morning. It was earlier than I usually get up unless I'm going deer hunting. Um, and so, but when I woke up, I woke up with my eyes wide open and my entire being was wide awake. It's as if I had never gone to sleep in the first place. And I, it, there was a silence in the room that cannot be described. There was a peace in the room that could not be described. And it's like that feeling where I know somebody's in here, but I don't think you're here to hurt me. <laughs> I don't think you're here to steal something, but somebody's in here. And uh, I didn't really know what to do at the time, and I got up, and this was, I, I used to get all my church clothes ready, and I had a little office down at the church that I was the campus pastor for, and had a little shower and whatnot, so I'd go to the church in my PJs and carry my church clothes with me, and I'd go down there and worship and different things and, and get dressed after, after all that. So I went down to the church and hung up my clothes, and I went into the sanctuary because I had been going through some, I'll call them processes for the lack of a better word, these processes, these, uh, these, these ritualistic acts in some ways. I was, I, was, I was doing some things that I had never done before because I wanted some things that I'd never had before. And so I go into this sanctuary at the time, and I could, I, whatever it was was with me the whole time. And uh, I go into the sanctuary, and I'm walking around the, the chairs, and I'm, and I'm just like, all right, Lord. And I, I told somebody this last week. If you heard my prayer life, it's very unimpressive because I talk to a I talk to the Lord like I would talk to one of my buddies, like, hey, man, what's going on? (laughs) And so, like, I'm walking around, and I'm, like, trying to figure out what is in this room. It was the most unbelievable feeling I'd ever had. It was was unique. It was strange. It was awesome. I didn't know. And so, finally, I I had been laying down and, and worshiping God on Sunday mornings before everyone got there on the stage. And so that was some, one of those things that I had been doing. And, and so I remember standing right around in here somewhere looking at this little stage that we had. And I just looked up and I was like, Lord, I don't know what, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know what this is. And I said, so all, all, all I know to do is just lay down and worship. And I heard a voice. Uh, I heard a voice from behind me say, then I'll just lay down with you. And I remember it's one of those scared feelings. If you read in the Bible, when people encountered angels and things, it says they were sore afraid. I was sore afraid. <laughs> but it was not this kind of fear where you knew something bad was going to happen. It was you knew you were in the presence of something that you should not be in the presence of. And uh, to make a long story short, I laid down and um, I closed my eyes and I, I had an out-of-body experience where I literally, it's like I came out of my body and I could see myself laying there and I never looked up. I just looked down at myself because I was just actually like right above my head, actually. And all of a sudden, I saw a white robe, feet, sandals, step up on the stage, step over me, and then lay down beside me. And I freaked the heck out. And I closed my eyes as fast as I could. And, I, and all of a sudden, this, this weight of uh, something that I could not explain just blanketed over me. And I was pressed to the stage uh, by this weight, felt like this blanket of air, but it was, it was, it was incredible, and I shook and cried, and I, I was a little, like I said, I was a little confused, and, and so in my head, the Lord, I couldn't talk either, and so I, the Lord was having to, I was having to talk to the Lord through my thoughts, and I, I was thinking to him, Lord, 
what is this? <laughs> Who is this? I didn't know if this was an angel. I didn't know, I didn't know what this was. And uh, all of a sudden, a movie screen a- a- appeared before me in this vision. And there was a movie that I had seen called A River Runs Through It, where in this movie, two brothers are fly fishing. And while they're fly fishing, the two brothers lay down beside each other uh, next to the river. And I, I knew as soon as the Lord showed me that, that clip of that movie that he was saying, laying beside you is your elder brother, Jesus. Well, that made it even worse. <laughs> I was like, what's he doing here? Yeah. And so I, it was the weirdest thing because I began to have the craziest thoughts. I remember thinking, I wanted to see him so bad. And I knew he was laying right beside I wanted to see him so bad. But I was afraid that if I looked at him, he might leave. And so I was sitting there thinking, okay, I want to see him. But what if he leaves? I think I'll just keep my eyes closed because whatever this feeling I have right now is I want it to last as long as it can possibly last. And so I laid there in this unbelievable encounter, and, and other than the Lord saying uh, to me, I'll just lay down with you, he never said a word to me. He didn't give me any instructions, or there was nothing like that, and it, to this day, is uh, the, the, the greatest experience of my Christian life, and that's why I say I, seven and a half years later, I can still talk about it. It's just as real to me today as it was seven and a half years ago. It's still affecting my soul to this day. It's still impacting my theology today. And I've since, I've, I've actually talked to the Lord a lot about this, and the, the months after that, uh, even years after that, I'm still to this day learning from that one, uh, from that one encounter with the Lord. And uh, one of the first things that the Lord did in that was I realized he didn't say anything, and I asked him, you know what, so you came all the way, <laughs> all the way here, like how far did he come? He's always with us. I don't know how far he actually came or how he got there. It's like you have these weird feelings, like, okay, you, you, you took the time to show up like this for me, but, and you didn't give me any instructions. You didn't give me any correction. Now, doesn't that sound like why most people come to church today, to get instruction and to get correction? That was my theology. So hang on, Lord, if we're, if we're going to be in your presence, if, if, this is, if we're going to have a real encounter, then there must be some instruction that needs to be had or given, and I'm sure there's some correction that needs to be received. Yet in that moment, it was the greatest encounter of my life. There was no instruction, no correction, simply his presence. Simply his presence. And, uh, but, I, I, but I also began to wa- wonder, what, if anything, triggered this encounter? What, if anything, triggered this encounter? What, is, is there something that I did? Is there something, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I know that there are times when God uh, sovereignly shows up. Uh, we, we know the stories of Paul when God sovereignly uh, showed up in his life when he was Saul of Tarsus, I, and sovereignly showed up, and he had a radical encounter with God. And I don't think Saul was doing anything on God's behalf at the time other than killing his people. So it's not like that's, that's, that's an example there. Of, that's an example more of his sovereignty than anything. But I do believe that there are things that we can do uh, that position us for God to show up. You can't sit there and talk about an encounter. You can't sit there and talk about the presence of God and not look out and search out in Scripture. Are there ways that we can actually invite him into our midst? Are there ways that we can position our heart, even position our physical bodies, that when doing so, God just might show up? I believe that there are, and, I, and I'll go very quickly because we're running out of time. One of the things that I've, I've had different people ask me was, so why were you laying down? What, what was all that about? Why, why were you laying down? Um, 
that, day, that morning. Well, what happened was, is I had read some scriptures about David. I had read some scriptures about Moses. And what I noticed is there were people in the Bible that I had great respect for, yet they seemed to have a different type of relationship than, with God than I did. They had a very emotional relationship with God. They had a very uh, transparent relationship with God. They cared less about what people thought about them and more about what he thought about them. And I, would, and I, was, I was trying to follow in their footsteps, and I had started this journey where I would come in and lay before the Lord and worship. There was, <laughs> there was one Sunday I, I used to lay, lay down, put headphones on and I, where I didn't know anybody was in the room, and I would worship. And I don't want this part to freak anybody out, but I, I speak in tongues uh, on a regular basis, and so I will worship, and often while I'm worshiping, I'll start speaking in tongues. And I remember one, one particular Sunday, I'm, in, I'm just lost in worship. I'm laying flat on my back. I'm lifting my hands. I'm worship. I'm speaking in tongues, and I got that sense again that someone was in the room. But this time I was pretty sure it wasn't Jesus. And it turned out that we had had this guest uh, guitar player show up. And he was the first one there that Sunday. And he had gotten up on the stage and was standing there just looking at me. Yeah, I don't think he ever came back again. Um, but I, I'll tell you another reason why I was laying there on my back. The first time I had ever had a real, tangible, physical encounter with the Lord I'd gone to a service where a guy called me out of the seat and he prophesied something over me, super accurate. Uh, it was just incredible. And it was one of those services, I don't know if you guys have ever been to one of these services. I'm sure some of you have seen the gifts on your phone with Benny Hinn and his white jacket. Uh, have you heard the term slain in the spirit? Have you ever heard that term? You know, let the bodies hit the floor, let the bodies hit the floor, that kind of stuff. Um, so this... <laughs> Somebody went, wow, this is my spiritual leader. Yeah. Uh, it, it was one of those kind of services, and, and this guy was one of those kinds of guys. He, he would lay hands on people, and they would just, I mean, out. And uh, I had never, I, I'd seen it. I'd been in church services where it happened. It never had happened to me. Didn't really want it to happen. I was good. Me and the Lord were good. I didn't need to fall down. I'm good. And um, <laughs> so this guy calls me out in front of all these thousands of people, whatever. He calls me out and says, I need this young man to step forward. I have word from you. He says this word. And I mean, like, gets me to the core. And he says, now I want you to lay back on purpose. And at the time, I was like, this dude just read my mail. If I don't lay down, there ain't no telling what else he's going to tell everybody about me. And so I just, I just kind of did the whole, and I just leaned back, and the ushers caught me. And as they're taking me to the ground, the second that my back hit the ground, something happened to me, and I was that weird-looking guy that flopped around like a fish on the ground for no less than five minutes. And uh, they finished the service with me still flopping on the front row. And it was just, it just, it messed with my head, just to be quite honest with you. I, it, it was amazing, but it messed with my head. And, uh, and so afterwards, I talked to the Lord about it, and the Lord told me, he said, you're so hard-headed. He said it just a little nicer than this. But he literally talked to the Lord, what was this about? And he said, you're, you're so stubborn, and you're so not surrendered. I had to get your physical body in a state of surrender before I could get you spiritually surrendered. You, you want a scripture for that, don't you? Like, that's crazy. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, not your spirit and not your soul, to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. What I realized 
that day and have come to even come become more convinced. You want to encounter God? You're going to have to surrender to God. You have to ask yourself the question, is Jesus my Savior or is Jesus my Lord? Am I surrendered to him? Not do you love him, not do you believe in him. Are you surrendered to him? Is your physical body even surrendered to him? Is your money surrendered to him? Is your marriage, are your children, is your business, is every part of your being surrendered to him? Because this, this scripture says that when we give our, our, our bodies to him, that this is really the only right way to do it. This is how you really worship. Are you totally surrendered? Or are there still areas of your life that are no-fly zones for him? There's areas of your life that, no, this is, this is kind of my thing. Are you surrendered? It is my belief that surrendered people encounter God more often. Surrendered people encounter God more often. And the last thing is nothing, and I believe this with all of my heart, nothing initiates an encounter like worship. Worship. Psalms 22.3 says this, but you are holy. You inhabit the praises of of Israel. Israel was God's people. Insert this. He inhabits the praises of his people. Because of what Jesus did, we are his people. Raise your hand if you're one of his people. Let me tell you where he lives in your praise. He lives in not my, he doesn't live in my praise. My praise ain't getting you in the door. Your praise will though. He lives in the place of our praise. You want to get in where he lives? You got to praise. You got to worship. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, you enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. You come into his courts, how? With praise. He's literally given us, he's like, oh, you want an encounter? You want to come into my space? You want to get near me? Super simple, praise. Worship. It's why we start our services with what we start our services with. I've said this before, but we don't start it with music music or worship so that those that are running a little late can get to their seat without making too much of a ruckus. No, it's, it's us saying, we're here, and if you don't show up, it ain't worth staying. We're here, but we need you to be here too. And the scriptures teach you, inhabits the praises of our people. Let me tell you one, and th- I wasn't looking around at anybody during worship, so if the shoe fits, wear it, but this ain't my condemnation. This might be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But nothing bothers me more than to see a couple standing there and the wife worshiping and the husband with his hands in his pocket. Well, that got quiet real quick. And, I, and it's not about judgment. It's not about, you know what it's about? They're missing the point. You're so concerned about what you look or not feeling uncomfortable. We, we, gotta, we just got to get over that. Sorry, I don't, really, I, don't really, I don't really come from an environment where people lift their hands. Well, do you come from an environment that reads the Bible that says, lift your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph? That's a scripture. I didn't put that in my journal. That's in his journal. You come from that place? Do you want an encounter with him? Do you want something more than theology? Do you want something more than just intellectual ascent into the understandings of the higher ways of God? 
He inhabits the praise of his people. I'm telling you, when I was needing Jesus more than any other times in my life, you know what I went to? I went to praise. In 2000, a long time ago. I won't even give you a year on this one. I was, I was in a tough spot. I was, the Lord was asking me to do some things I didn't want to do, and I was working in the oil field, and I was struggling. And I just remember the only thing that invited the peace of God and the presence of God was worship. And I would be on location. And I had the midnight, or I had the, had the, 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 the night shifts. So I'd come in at 7 at night and go home at 7 in the morning. I was working seven days a week. But I was struggling, and my flesh was weak, and so I would, I would, I would, I would sneak off. And this is before safety was that big a deal in the oil field. I would sneak off, and I would climb to the top of this, uh, of this battery uh, on the far end of the location. And I would climb to the top of this battery where no one could hear me. And I would put on earphones and I would sit there and worship. But the problem was, is I had some spiritual sides of me that were, I was working on, but I still had some flesh. And so I was smoking cigarettes. And so I was sitting there, tears running down my face with headphones on worshiping with a marble light in my mouth. And between the worship and the marble, Jesus showed up. I told this story and Leanne's like, I never heard that one before. <laughs> Can I, here's, what, here's why I said that. It's not about how you worship or if you're even doing it right or even if you're smoking a cigarette while you do it. Are you worshiping? Because you need him in your environment. Do you want him more than anything? Will you, are you willing to surrender your life? Are you willing to worship like you've never worshiped before? We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.